Uh, which macaroons are a thing. They're just not, not this thing. Maybe we should start there, Michael. Macaroon, yeah. macaron. Which is it? It's it's a macaron. One macaron. One yeah. Macaron. Yeah. Some some people okay. get fancy and they're like macaron, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I call it macarons. <laughs> macaron, and it's yeah. a pastry. It is pastry. Uh, macaroons are a different pastry. It's like a more puffy pastry with like coconut flakes all over the top of it. But uh, these are macarons. This is the Beats Working Show. We're on a mission to redeem work, the word, the place, and the way. I'm your host, Mark Wright. Join us at Winning the Game of Work. Welcome to Beats Working, Winning the Game of Work. On the show today, how to turn your side hustle into your main hustle. And as you just heard, that side hustle for Michael Huynh is a pastry called a macaron. Michael is the co-founder of the Macadon Pastry, which accidentally became his side hustle just before Christmas in 2013. Michael's then-girlfriend said, hey, we should make macarons for our friends for Christmas. Michael, being the supportive boyfriend, said, sure. And the rest is history. Today, Michael and his team make 10,000 macadons a week. Michael explains why they're called macadons instead of macarons in the interview. But the reason I wanted to have Michael on the show is the way he runs his business, the way he treats his employees and customers, is redeeming work, which is the goal of this podcast. I was also intrigued by Michael's life story. Like a lot of us, Michael thought he had to take a traditional job to be successful. He did that for a while, but he was miserable. And that's when he decided to become an entrepreneur. Get ready for some tasty inspiration from Michael Huynh. Michael Huynh, owner of Macadons and Pink's Ice Cream. It's great to have you on Beats Working, man. Good to see you. Hey. We finally got this scheduled. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. <laughs> well, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show, Michael, is that uh, you are redeeming work in that you believe that the workplace should be set up to benefit the people working there, not so that the people who work there are there simply to exist, to make you money and to, to make the business successful, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's go back in time. I, I read that your first actual job was as a lifeguard. Take me yeah. back. Uh, when was that? How old were you when you had your first job? Oh, man. Uh, it was high school for sure. I don't remember if it was junior or senior year. Um, but I've, I've been swimming my whole life. I did swim lessons when I was pretty young. I uh, really enjoyed it. It was something to do with friends all the time. And my parents were always happy to just let me go to the community center to go swim. Uh, so in high school, I joined the swim team. And um, a couple people on the swim team were lifeguards at the YMCA. So um, they, they got me a job there. And uh, yeah, I was, I was 16 years old doing lifeguarding and uh, teaching swim lessons at the YMCA in West Seattle. Oh, that's cool. Where did you learn your work ethic, Michael? Oh, man, work ethic. Um, I would say I really learned work ethic. Um, uh, again, not sure what age I was, but it was uh, working at Salty's on Alki. Um, I've had a few odd jobs before that. 
Um, this was my first restaurant gig. And uh, I remember one of the trainers um, sat me down and it was like, gave me a pep talk, told me I just needed to hustle and, and start working harder. And from then on, it was, it was it was always full speed ahead, just like trying trying to do as much as I can, always trying to improve processes. Um, yeah, just, just putting my best foot forward. Wow, that's cool. So before you had these jobs, I, I take it like school was your was your focus, right? Studies and, and sports and stuff like that. <laughs> um, school was actually not my focus. Um, it was it was very interesting. Uh, school was was always very difficult for me. Mm. Um, I I am the youngest of three children, uh, immigrant children, first generation, and. Um, my brother, my older brother and older sister, we're all one school year apart, so very close in age. And my brother and sister were very um, academically gifted, I would say. Um, they, they always excelled at everything they did. And um, having to try to follow that was very difficult for me. Um, at the beginning, you know, it, it was like always trying to, to keep up with them. But as as time went on, and like it was, I I tried as hard as I could, and I still couldn't succeed to the level that they did. Even early on in school, like I'm talking about elementary school, middle school, um, I, w- I would get disciplined for it a lot because my parents just expected me to be be as great as my brother and sister, and I I couldn't be. And um, I just remember sometime in middle school, I I it just pushed me so far to that the edge that I I started to do bad in school uh, intentionally and I just wanted to give up on it hmm. uh so school school never really was uh, a strong focus for me it was something that I knew that I needed to do and I I got through high school did some college but it was never never a priority that's interesting I have a brother who's a couple of years older than me and kind of a similar story. He's, uh, you know, today he's a CPA and a lawyer, and he's running Wright Brothers Farm, our organic vegetable farm up in Ferndale. But in in school, I mean, he was just so, so smart. And I remember having some of the same teachers a couple of years after my brother and how disappointed those teachers were that I was not nearly performing at the level of my brother. And, uh, yeah, I was I was that C, uh, C student student. Uh, uh, on a good day, and I didn't really, I didn't really have um, academic success until I was almost flunking out of college, literally twice, uh, as a business major, and then discovered broadcasting, and, and everything turned around. But yeah, I know what you mean to have that expectation, uh, academic expectation, and to not be able to live up to that. But I think as we tell your story, people are going to be super inspired at, at what you've become. Um, I was surprised to read that you were a professional poker player at one point. <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> How in the world did this happen, Michael? Uh, I don't know. Like I, I don't consider it professional, but it was what I was doing for my income for like two to three years. Uh, how did that come about? Um, 2003 was like the year that the world series of poker started to become really popular on TV. And coincidentally, that was the same year that I graduated from high school and didn't know what to do with my life. (laughs) Um, so they started 
having poker rooms and like small casinos around town and I would play and I would suck and lose money and learn from it. And uh, just, just over the years, just really enjoying the thrill of the game and the competitiveness and playing with friends. Um, I just started to get better and better. And then uh, I remember in my early 20s, I was uh, dating a flight attendant and I got flight benefits um, through her, so I was just flying down to, <laughs> and I was flying down to Vegas like twice a month just to play poker there because the games are so much easier and so much better. And uh, me and my friend would just fly in on Fridays, play through the weekend, and fly back. We didn't do any partying or anything. Um, it made a, a, a good amount of money from it, uh, but I was young and dumb and thought that it was always going to be like that. I was like, oh, it's just like going to the bank. It's just getting more money anytime I wanted to. <laughs> and having that mindset, I never really like put any way to save. And then you run into like just a string of bad luck or bad hands or just just uh, bad sessions. And you burn through your whole bankroll and, you know, you, you got to have money to make money. So at that point, that was like, I did that for a while. Um, and then had to start completely all over again. Uh, and then I was like, ah, this, this is too stressful of a life. Um, went back to working restaurants for a bit. Um, yeah. Before then, you go then, on, I have, I have to ask you, Michael, what, so on a good weekend, how much could you clear in Vegas and come home with? Uh, like t- 10, 10 grand um, wow. on a good weekend. Whoa. Like negative, negative 10 grand on a bad weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So then you got you got back into well, before we go on, what is what makes a successful poker player? Because I'm horrible at poker. I'm that guy that people are like, hey, you should come over and play poker, play poker with us. And, and you know, translation, hey, you should come over and give us some money because I lose all the time. Um, it, it takes a lot of discipline. It's uh it's a marathon. Like a lot of people just get impatient and they start to play recklessly or play, start playing hands that they shouldn't be playing. And that's when people start getting in trouble. They just like play, play for the fun of it, for the thrill of it, to try to bluff people, to try to catch people bluffing. And, you know, you don't need to play like that if you're, if you're trying to play to make money. Wow. That's interesting. So you come back to Seattle, you get back into the restaurant industry. Yeah. And I'm curious, when did... When did the idea of of making these pastries, macadons, when did that when did that come into your onto your radar? Uh, that was Christmas of 2013. Um, we at, at the time I was, I was I was dating a girl, and her mom likes to bake and cook, and um, you know we we just got together and we both had our big groups of friends and. It's Christmas time, and we wanted to do something nice for our friends. And um, at that time, macarons were starting to just become a thing. And she was like, oh, my mom just showed me how to make macarons. Like, let's just make macarons for everybody. And just me being the, the supportive boyfriend, I was like, yeah, sure. Let's, you know, it, It's a gift for both of us, so I'll help out with it, too. And then uh, we made it. Everybody was super excited about it. They loved it. Um, they tasted great. They didn't look... As, as awesome as they look now, but um, but we were on the right track. And from there, people just wanted to continue ordering. And it just, it just grew organically. We didn't have a plan to 
to start the business. It just kind of happened. So for people who don't know what a Macaron is, and and I had some of yours for the first time at one of our our company uh, get-togethers, and I was really impressed with. Um, it's it's really an experience unlike any other pastry. It's it's sort of, it sort of has a hard shell but a beautifully soft interior, and the flavors are are amazing there. And for people who don't know, Michael, they they sort of look like a puffy neon Oreo, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to explain it. We have a there's a lot of different colors, that, and you know, we we match the the colors with the flavors that we put into it. Um, another thing people don't know is that all of the flavor is in the filling. All of our shells are the same; they're just colored differently. Um, and what's great wow. about that is it it opens it up to um, full customization. We do a lot of weddings where people can have their wedding colors with the flavors that they want instead of just like, oh, well, I want chocolate, so it's got to be brown, you know. So take us through the process, Michael, of making the the macaron, because it's not just a simple, easy thing to do, right? There's a process. There's definitely a process. And our process start to finish before anybody can eat one is uh, two to three days. Um, the process starts out with almond flour, oh, egg white, and sugar, and we make a meringue. Uh, after we make the meringue, then we add the food coloring, and we add the almond flour and powdered sugar, um, and all of that makes the, the batter for the shells. Um, then we have to rest those shells for two to three hours before we bake them. And everybody has their own different recipes, but this is the way that we do it. Um, so we rest them for two to three hours uh, because... What needs to happen is after you pipe the batter, the batter is really sticky. So if you touch it, it's going to stick to your finger. But once you wait two to three hours, it, it forms this like eggshell type of texture. And you can touch it. You can run your finger over it. Um, and then that's when it's ready to bake. If you bake it before it has that hard outer shell, then it's going to uh, start cracking. And then since it has that hard outer shell on the outside and in the inside, the batter is still wet. When you bake it, um, the shell actually like lifts up and you can see the batter underneath and then it comes back down. And then that's what causes those little frilly uh, feet on it. People, they call them feet. Um, and then after that, um, we, we make the filling and we fill it. And what most people don't know is you actually have to age the macarons um, to get them to the texture that we enjoy. Um, if you eat them the same day, the shell will be too hard, you'll bite into it, and it'll just kind of crumble, and you'll get crumbs all over the place. Um, <laughs> it's not, not a great experience um, for us. And again, this is, like, this is the way that we do it. It's, it's not the same way that everybody else does it. Yeah, I want to get more into the business in just a minute, but one thing that I would love to explore with you, Michael, is that I think a lot of us, and I, I really see myself in your story in that in that we have an idea that we should do X, Y, and Z to be successful in life. In my case, it was I should go to college, I should enroll in business school, I should go into some sort of business and make money and be successful, and I thought that's what I should do. And I was failing miserably. I had to retake accounting so many times that the professor <laughs> the professor over at Wazoo looked at me in the first day of class. She said, what are you doing back in my class? <laughs> and I was like, mm, yeah, this is, I'm, it's, I'm having a hard time getting this. Uh, but I just wasn't even going to class very often. But, but you, know, you, I, I, you know, you sort of, I think, had that same story that you, you know, you were encouraged to 
you know, go get a good job, you know, work for somebody, make money, be successful. Tell me, where did that come from? And when did you realize you were going to break away and become an entrepreneur? Um, that comes heavily from having an, an Asian background, um, being brought up by an Asian family. That's, that's what you're told to do. You know, like hmm. our parents come over here from a third world country and they're here to give us opportunity and they want us to go to school and we do have it all written out for us. Like my whole life, I thought I was going to graduate high school, marry my high school sweetheart, like go to college, become a doctor or lawyer or dentist or accountant. I don't know. I don't know. There's so many things, but it was like very special, like specific. And, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, Going through high school, I remember just being very envious of everybody that did know. And they were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to UW and I'm going to become a, a pharmacist. And I was like, oh, that's cool. How do you know you want to do that for the rest of your life? And they're like, I don't know. It just seems like a good job. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> what do I want to do? And I had no idea. Um, and that made me even more of a black sheep in my family, I think. Like, not black sheep where, like, they didn't, they didn't love me. Like, my parents loved me. It's just I didn't didn't have a clear direction of, of where to go. And um, it was never brought up to us to open up our own business and try to be successful in that way. Um, and I think it's because, you know, a lot, of, a lot of immigrants did come over here and try to start their own businesses, but the way that they were running their businesses is they bought themselves a job they, they weren't trying to grow it it was like you can always bet that you would go in and you would see the owners there the husband and the wife would be there every day open to close seven days a week and they weren't getting anywhere they were probably paying themselves less than what they would have made if they were just to go work for somebody else and so i think with you know like my parents seeing that they they didn't want that for me, and I think a lot of a lot of Asian families like that. Um, sorry, and then the the other question was like, when when did I know that I wanted to break off the beaten path? Yeah, when when you decided that, I know that in 2014, I think you started with a, a cottage food permit, and you guys, you and your girlfriend at the time, decided to to give it a go on the side. So, you know, when did that become the side hustle? Was it 2014 then? Yeah, 2014 was a side hustle, a little bit of vacation money. Um, and then I don't remember what year I started work. Oh, okay, let's see. I think I was already working at Boeing at the time, and my parents were so happy. They were like, oh, my God, he finally, finally got a job that he has, like, good pay, good benefits, and he's going to retire. And I was like, great. Now I can stop working all these odd jobs. And... Um, so I was working at Boeing three years prior to that, and then did the did the business on the side, and it was just you know it was cool just to have some extra side money and just kind of like do this business thing. We didn't have any like business mentors, we didn't have any business background or education, um, and we were just learning by failing, and it was fine. You know, it was it was a side hustle. It wasn't like we quit our jobs and went into it full-time so it, it wasn't like there was much at risk it was like okay well 
that that was wrong. We lost some money there, but what can we do in the future to learn from it and, and get better? And we just continued to do that, and it was and the business just continued to grow. And it, we didn't really have a plan for the business. It was just kind of like we did it, and then people were like, "Oh, this is this is good. You guys should sell at farmers markets." We're like, "Okay, cool. Let's figure out how to sell at farmers markets." <laughs> did that for a while, and then like a friend had a restaurant. He was like, "Oh, these are really good. How can I start carrying this up in my restaurant?" I'm like, uh, "Yeah, I, I guess." I, like, I don't know how wholesale works, but like, if you want to carry it at a restaurant, like, we'll figure it out. So it was always like the business just kind of led itself to wherever it needed to go. Um, but when I made the decision to go into the business full time, I remember it was three years into the business. So uh, I remember this because when you work at Boeing on like production, you once you're there for six years, you, you get your max out pay, which is like you, the, the top of what you can make and like Every what was it? Every uh, every six months, you would get fifty a fifty cent raise from your base pay, but like on that six year mark, you get like a thirteen dollar raise or something. So it was like, you know, you would work so hard, you would stay stick stick around for so long so that you can get this max out pay. And then I got the max out pay, and <laughs> like like three months later, I like look around and I just like see how miserable all the people that I was working with were and how miserable I was working there because you know like it wasn't a hard job it was like the hardest part about the job was like going to the job like driving there hmm. just having to be there and I was like I cannot do this for another 30 years um I'm just gonna focus on the business so then I put in my two weeks notice and and made the decision to work on the business full-time and I'm sure I'm sure your mom and dad were thrilled at that oh news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're uh, my my mom's very supportive uh, and very understanding, and she'll always be there for me, uh, no matter what. So it's I'm glad to have her support, um, even though many times she has not agreed with the decisions that I have made. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think a lot of moms, mine included, are like that. That you know, she's always been there to support me <laughs> through good decisions and bad. So, Michael, tell me more about the cottage food permit. You started the business with your then-girlfriend uh, by getting a permit to be able to make these baked goods in your home. Uh, and I've seen a lot of different small business owners who started that way, whether it's you know making root beer or jams and jellies or stuff like that for farmer's markets. But tell us more about, about that cottage food permit process. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty easy permit to to get um, and it does allow you to do certain foods out of your home um, just very low risk foods and then you're able to sell that at different places you're not able to wholesale them uh, but you, you are able to take them to farmers markets or uh, sell them directly to other other customers well let's talk then about how the business started growing so you gave your notice at Boeing you decided to make it your full-time thing how was it in the beginning? What, what what was it like in the early days of your company? And and tell us about the name, uh, how you came up with the name too. Okay, well, I'll start off with the name. Um, mm-hmm. My my business partner that I started the business with, uh, her name is Donna, so it's a play off of macarons and her her first name Donna. Um, so macadons. Yeah, macadons. Um, shoot, and then I forgot the first part of that question that you asked. 
No, that's okay. The uh, once you decided to cut the cord, yeah. you left Boeing. What uh, what was it like in the early days? I mean, how did you grow the business? How did you find space? How did you find you know customers? All that stuff. Yeah. So at, at that point, um, we were already in year three of doing the business as a side hustle, and it's it was it has been growing, um, but I. It was about a year or two into doing macadons that um, we wanted to make ice cream macaron sandwiches. And that's when Pink's Ice Cream came about because we were looking for ice cream to put in between our macaron shells um, to make these ice cream macaron sandwiches. But we didn't want to just go with like any regular ice cream, just like go and buy ice cream from the grocery store and putting it in there. Um, a lot of the flavors that we were doing were already Asian-inspired flavors. Um, so we thought it would be great if we can find a local Asian-inspired ice cream flavor, uh, ice cream manufacturer. And uh, lo and behold, we found Pink's Ice Cream run by uh, a couple. Uh, the, the woman is Thai, so her name is very long, but she went by Pink. And so that's why it was called Pink's Ice Cream. And they had, they had fun flavors like coconut and Thai tea, mango, I think. Um, and we decided to work with them and use their ice cream to make our ice cream macaron sandwiches. And I remember that we just bought their ice cream by the gallon. It was this hard ice cream by the gallon. And we bought these silicone molds. Um, they are food safe. But I think it was made for like soaps and stuff. It wasn't made. It wasn't specifically made for ice cream macarons, and we didn't have the money to make something custom. So we bought these silicone molds, <laughs> and I would scoop the ice cream and put them into these molds. And <laughs> I felt like my hands was gonna fall off because it was so cold. And you know, like ice cream when you when you melt, basically melt it, and then you freeze it again. And like the the quality isn't as good. So. But that's what we were doing because, you know, like we wanted to try it out and people, people wanted it. And we did that for a while and um, everybody enjoyed it. It was, it was surprising. I, didn't, I was like, oh, it wasn't surprising. Like, it was good. You know, ice cream between two macaron shells. Like, why not? Um, and then I remember we did a, um, like, an event, a one-day event in uh, Chinatown where we kind of first released the ice cream macarons. Um, in bulk and we had great feedback and so we continued to continue the partnership with uh pink's ice cream and just kept just kept doing that for a few months maybe like five or six months and the whole time um she was pregnant and they were expecting their first child and so um towards the end of their their pregnancy um they they told us that they were planning to sell the business uh, because they didn't want to do the business and the family thing at the same time. And so they asked us if we wanted to buy the business because we were working with them. And like still at this point, we had no idea what we were doing. And we're like, oh, yeah, OK, well, that sounds cool. We don't have to scoop this ice cream and put it into molds anymore. We just do it straight from the ice cream machine. Um, and we're like, OK, <laughs> like we didn't get any lawyers involved or anything. We're just like, how much do you want for the business? And what is it included? <laughs> Uh, okay, that sounds fair. We'll just buy, we'll just buy that. We're not really, like negotiating or anything. Uh, but they were great. They were trying to like take advantage of us, and everything worked out. And um, we bought the business from them with all the recipes and all their current inventory and their 
their wholesale partnerships. And, uh, and I think it was like a two week or a month long training offboarding process. And like, <laughs> she's, I felt so bad for her because she was like so far along in her pregnancy and she would come in and like <laughs> teach us how to make ice cream. Uh, still love her. And uh, we, we still, we still catch up every once in a while. That's awesome. And we should say the noise in the background, you're, you're in, in the business in Renton right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we're not open yet, but we have some, some team members here. They're That's awesome. Conversation. That's uh, would you like awesome. me to move somewhere else? No, you're good. You're good. I think it adds to the ambiance of, of the interview. This is so fun. So uh, what were the biggest challenges, Michael, as you were growing the business? I mean, because so much of business is knowing all that stuff institutionally, like you know, all the stuff that lawyers and accountants know, right? Yeah. And that, that was the biggest challenge is that you don't know what you don't know. So how do you know what yeah. questions to ask? You're like, you just got to fail and figure it out and then learn from it. And um, I, I didn't know that there were so many resources out there for small business owners. Um, but after going through it and, and then finding people that eventually told us that there were all these free resources out there it, it really helped out uh, yeah like the foster school was one that you you partnered with right at the uw yeah the foster school of business was great um and how that opportunity came about was very interesting um we we were approached by starbucks in 2017 i believe and I remember um, we got an email, and they were like, hey, can we have a meeting with you? And we're like, okay, great. That's, that's cool. Starbucks is reaching out. Like, I don't know what they want, but we'll, we'll, just, we'll just sit down and have a talk with them. And I remember they came into our White Center location, and we didn't have that place built out. We're like, we, we got that place just so that we can make our product there. So, like, the storefront area was just, like, all storage area. But it didn't look great. Um but we, we had the meeting with her. She came in, and she was like, oh, we're, we're building one of our community stores at, um, like, on this block. Like, it was on the same block that our location was. And she was like, oh, I did some research. I found you guys on Yelp, and, like, we're, we're, we want to carry your product at our community store. Like, huh? <laughs> Starbucks wants to carry our macarons at, at their store? This is weird. And so they're, they're just telling us about what the community stores were. And it's, it's about, um, you know, putting, like normally Starbucks puts a lot of time and effort and uh, research into where to open up certain Starbucks stores because they want it to be successful. Well, with the community stores, they were very intentional about putting them in very underserved areas where they normally would not put a Starbucks. And along with that, they would hire uh, women and minority owned businesses to build it out and to furnish everything. And, and even when they hired, they would hire like people with bad records or like veterans or minorities. Like it's very intentional to try to help the community. And so when they asked, you know, like if, if we could carry our macarons there, I was like, Oh, okay. That sounds great. Like how many other people are we up against? And they were like, nobody. I was like, okay, well, I have no idea what I'm doing. And uh, I don't know, like, how to get set up so that we can get start, started working with you. And uh, her name was Esprit. And she, was, she said, don't worry about it. You know, like, 
this is what we're here for. Like, this is what we want to do. We want to help you out so you can get you to that point. And so they, they brought in all of their own uh, people to help us through the process. It was tons and tons of paperwork. And um, we did that and learned how to work with like a big corporation with like the things that they needed because it was like way above what the health department requires for you to do. But that's what they needed to be able to work with a smaller business. And so we did that and I think, when did we launch? I think it was like the end of 2018, around Christmas time. Um, mm -hmm. And we were, we started out at like eight Starbucks stores in the local area and then the plan was to continue growing and we got into like 17 of them, I believe. And then they cut the program and it was very sad, but, but it was okay. Cause we didn't have all of our eggs in one basket. It wasn't like everything was on Starbucks. So, you know, it, it, it was sad to see it end. Um, but it was great to go through the process so that, you know, we could say that we worked with a big company like Starbucks and we were able to provide a quality product, um, and give people like peace of mind of like how we were making it, like our process yeah. of doing it. As you're scaling the business, tell me the lessons that you learned about how to hire people, you know, who to hire people. And I heard you say that one of the things that you love about being a business owner is you really are trying to help people develop their skills and figure out what they're best at. Yeah, and I think that comes from me in my situation when I was younger in school and not knowing what I wanted to do and just picking up odd jobs. Um, but I, I wish that I had somebody that believed in me and wanted to help me figure out what I was good at. Um, cause I always did every job that I had, I did, I did it well. I always figured out the best way to do it, but in doing so, like you, you don't move up. Like if you're good at your job, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna keep you there, you know. Um, so it's very important to me that when we hire people on, like I feel like I can I can read people pretty well. Like good, I can tell that people are like good people, and that's that's all we care to have. Like we don't want people to have experience. We want to be the people that give them experience and um, train them up and and teach them. You know, not just not just work things, but like communication and ethical things, and just just being there as like a a coach or a mentor, or it's just a leader to them, and and help them figure out what they want to do in life is just super rewarding to me. I can see a lot of pride on your face when you talk about that. Is there a is there a person in particular that has been, you know, especially touching to you in terms of developing? your employees uh within my team yeah uh we all do it together like yeah we, it's it's, it's kind of it's cliche to say and like i it's kind of cringy when i hear it but we are like a family here <laughs> oh <laughs> um, no but yeah it's, it's all about teamwork and uh, accountability like everybody looks out for each other you know um one thing about what we do is we have a lot of flexibility in our schedule and but the only way to have that is for everybody to look out for each other like what uh, advice would you have michael to someone um who is considering turning their side hustle into their main hustle if you could go back and tell michael of earlier years 
uh, a lesson. What 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 what's your best advice? Uh, my best advice would be to reach out for help. Um, I remember when when I started, I was always worried about bothering people and asking them for help um, because I, I knew everybody was busy and um, I didn't I didn't I wanted to be respectful of people's time, but now being in this position and being able to help other people i tell them like just if there's somebody you want to talk to you want help from somebody you can you can ask them because if they're busy they'll just tell you they're busy or if they don't want to help you they'll just tell you they're busy so it, it doesn't hurt to to ask and i think a lot of people that have been through the struggle of starting their own business they they understand and they want to help out other people that also want to start their own business so tell me about Macadons today. How many employees do you have? Where can people find you? Yeah, Macadons today, uh, we are about 24 employees, uh, last time I checked. Uh, so we are pretty pretty big of a company. Um, we have our flagship storefront in downtown Renton on 3rd and Wells. Uh, we have our Currently, our commercial kitchen where we make all of our product, all of our ice cream, all of our macarons are made in our commercial kitchen in White Center. Um, and then we also have a kiosk down in Ruston. And the plan is just to continue growing the brand. Um, so often throughout the business, we've, we've done a lot of wholesale. Um, we make about 10,000 macarons a week. Uh, and that's you know just a fraction of that gets sold at our store. So, um, but doing, doing all the wholesale hasn't really built our, our brand presence very strongly. So now we're really focusing on, on getting the brand out there to our customers. We just want to be more customer facing. And I noticed uh, behind you in the store, you, you partner with other companies too. You don't just sell uh, macarons there. What, what else do you guys sell? Yeah, and um, that's the other thing we want to do. It's just like, so the reason behind that is I believe that people should focus on the thing that they're good at. You know, if you just focus on one thing and just be really good at it, you're going to do well. Uh, so our thing is macarons. And our thing also now is ice cream. But, like, we have a separate team that focuses on just ice cream. Um, but we didn't want to be a shop where we just become everything to everybody. So um, we carry coffee but we have worked with olympia coffee which is local they're down in olympia and they have a great coffee program uh, certified b corp uh, we worked with miro tea they're up in ballard we have a lot of loose leaf teas uh, we have about 17 different varieties and you know miro tea has like hundreds right because they are the experts in their industry so we just like working with people that are good at doing the thing that they do and the thing that they do is the one thing that they do. They're not, they're not out there trying to be everything to everybody either. You mentioned B Corp. We had a really fun interview uh, earlier in the series with uh, how to form a B Corp. Um, and uh, super interesting. If you're, It's basically um, super high standards for a company in terms of ethics and the environment and, and how they treat people and uh, just a really holistic way of accountability to become the best company that you can become that's really cool that you're partnering with the b corp yeah hopefully one day we can get there as well yeah that would that would be fantastic so michael as you as you look down the road 
What what's your future? What's your future vision for your company, Macadons? Uh, the the future vision is to continue growing the brand, uh, which means opening up more brick and mortar retail storefronts. Um, still keeping all of our production in one space so that we can ensure the quality because it is really hard to make and uh, to get to the quality standards that, that we um, have for our team. Um, so just continuing opening up smaller retail storefronts where we bring the product there and we can sell to, to our customers. Um, I think our next location hopefully is somewhere over on the east side. And yeah, not... Not thinking too far ahead of that because we, we, we got to take it one step at a time. Yeah. Michael, what are you most proud of through this whole process? I am most proud of the team that we have built. Um, yeah, not, nothing's better than that. Just being able to provide our team with um, a workplace that they can feel happy coming into and being proud to be a part of. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's uh, really fulfilling to me. Did you ever think that this is where you would end up? Because I remember being totally lost in my life and not having any clue what I would do for a living. But once I, once I found my path, it was like a light came down and the doors just flew open and, and, uh, did you ever think that this this is where you would end up? I mean, what an interesting life path that you've had so far, and you're still really young. Um, not that young. I'm 38, <laughs> so I'm pretty pretty far That's along. That's young. That's young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, absolutely not. Not. I would never have guessed this. And if, if somebody said this is where I would be, I I would tell them they're crazy, like running a, a macaron business. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but I'm, I'm so so glad to be here. Well, I have to tell people at I've had several opportunities to sample your work, and these um, are really an amazing experience. When you bite into them, they're chewy and soft. Oh my gosh, she's holding one up right now. Chewy and soft and flat. Oh my. <laughs> Does that guy look familiar? <laughs> and you can put people's pictures on on it. <laughs> Oh, okay, yeah, I'm gonna drive down. I'm gonna guy. drive down in the next couple of days and, and pick that up from you. Oh, um, just don't eat it because like, you know it's like I'm not wearing a yep. glove. My hands are all we've over. Got it. To, we've got to put that uh, on display in a, like a pastry museum or something. <laughs> but I want to just encourage people that if you've never experienced uh, a macadon, they are so good, and uh, it's just a really cool experience. And I, I think also, Michael, you're I I just love your story. I love the fact that. You're so positive and you're so committed to redeeming work by making your workplace a place that makes people want to be better human beings. And and you're spreading joy through through what you do as well. And so I'm just super, super impressed and super proud of of what you've become with uh, with your life story. So keep it up. Keep it up. And I hope we keep in touch. All right. Great. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate you uh, having me on your show. Awesome. All right. Talk soon. Okay. Thanks. I'm Mark Wright. Thanks for listening to Beats Working, part of the Work P2P family. New episodes drop every Monday. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Special thanks to show producer and web editor Tamar Medford. In the coming weeks, you'll hear from our Contributors Corner and Sidekick Sessions. 
Join us next week for another episode of Beats Working, where we are winning the game of work.